Welcome to the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. And today we're having a conversation with Tyson Johnson, CEO of the Cyber NB Initiative in New Brunswick. This is the second in f- four conversations around how do you do effective sector slash uh, cluster development in Atlantic Canada. So we've got four great conversations. This is the second. And Don, I, I thought this was a very interesting conversation. It looks like to me, there's a ton of potential, the market opportunity, the 3.5 million jobs that are going to be created in cybersecurity. But it does feel a little bit to me like uh, like we're really at the front end and trying to figure out what we want to do with the CyberNB uh, initiative here in New Brunswick. Yeah, sort of. Uh, it feels like the uh, where the bioscience uh, alliance uh, was in uh, in PEI ten or fifteen years ago. So uh, you know, people need to be reminded that it's often a slow build to build a cluster, getting the you know the strategy right early and working that strategy. A couple of things that Tyson said that I thought were uh, kind of interesting, and I hadn't had this perspective before. They don't consider their cluster to be a vertical. They consider it to be a horizontal. And by that, he meant cybersecurity crosses all organizations in all, all sectors. And it's part of every, every organization's daily existence. And I thought, oh, that's, I hadn't thought about, about that like, like that before, but it's true. So it's everybody's business. So this, this conversation should be interest, of interest to everyone. The second thing um, uh, that he said is that you, you should not be afraid of cyber um, security. Most people think of it being highly technical, complicated, complex. He said it's actually not that complicated. And I actually, I thought that was a pretty good comment because uh, it means that every business needs to be aware of what they need to do to keep their business safe, to keep their data safe, the privacy issues, uh, you know, focused and, and, and secure. And uh, those were really interesting comments uh, as part of our conversation. Yeah, it certainly is a very topical thing right now, cybersecurity. I think very, very, there's very few people that aren't running into some uh, aspect of that, whether a small business or uh, a resident or, or government. Uh, so the question is, how do we harness that for economic growth? I do really appreciate what they're doing on the HR front. They're starting early in schools, trying to get young people uh, uh, exposed and familiar with what cybersecurity is and how it can be a career path. And then they're doing things like boot camps where they train people over a period of months with the skills that they need to do frontline cybersecurity jobs. So not necessarily the computer programming side, but the surveillance and the upfront customer support that you, you need uh, for the cybersecurity sector. I do have one a little concern, and that is around uh, how do you attract and grow companies uh, because, of course, as, as you'll find out in the conversation here, that, that that responsibility still rests with Opportunities New Brunswick and not with the Cyber NB initiative. So I think it's going to be very, very important for those two organizations, along with others like Ignite Fredericton, to work closely together. Because from our perspective, Don, we're looking at ways you grow a cluster, and that requires business investment, startups, and, and attracting companies. Uh, and somebody has to be doing that. And in this case, it's separate from Cyber NB. It's actually uh, the government of New Brunswick's opportunities, New Brunswick. Yeah. And, and because it's early days, I don't think they've got uh, what Rory Francis would, would, would uh, uh, call outcomes firmly uh, sort of uh, identified. You know, what are, what are the metrics of success? And, and clearly, uh, the benefit of a cluster is that you not only grow a local businesses with an interest in this, but you attract other businesses uh, to the province who want to be near, uh, you know, the intellectual sort of uh, capacity uh, that a cluster brings. So it is early days. It'll be interesting to see how they progress against uh, their own objectives and, and outcomes. Yeah. So if PEI BioAlliance is sort of 15 years along, CyberNB is only a few years in. So you're right. There's there's a lot of learning and a lot of growing as, a, as an opportunity and as a cluster that needs to happen. So without any further uh, uh, upfront conversation between us, here is our conversation with Tyson Johnson, CEO of CyberNB. Tyson, before we get you to tell us a little bit about what CyberNB is, why don't you start by giving us your background and journey, how you ended up uh, at, at the head of uh, this initiative? 
Super. Well, listen, first of all, thank you to both of you for inviting me here to speak today. Uh, topic I'm very passionate about and I uh, look forward to the discussion. So how did I get started on this journey to where I am today? Well, it, it certainly wasn't a direct line for me to be. I think uh, many of us uh, take different routes. So um, I started uh, working in the intelligence sector here in, the, in, in Canada uh, out of university, which introduced me to a number of topics of interest around national security, international collaboration for national security and security issues. Uh, introduced me to uh, both the physical security side, but also the technology security side and the, the interdependencies thereof. Um, worked in that field for um, uh, six years, close to seven years. Uh, got to work on a number of interesting files um, and then was in Toronto uh, working for the government when I decided to exit. I had uh, uh, some entrepreneurial and some business sector ambitions and and exited the, the government and uh, ended up joining uh, TD Bank, um, where ironically I, I, I met uh, Frank McKenna uh, when he joined as deputy chair, uh, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so at uh, TD Bank, uh, they were looking to mature their enterprise security risk management posture. And so uh, I was brought in to support the growth of their uh, corporate uh, security program which allowed me to start working across the organization with uh, their business lines uh, and uh, the back office, uh, as well as their uh, IT and infrastructure groups, their data center groups. And so that was a phenomenal uh, opportunity for me to start to learn how it all hangs together uh, inside a, a large multinational. Um, after being there for a few years, uh, I had the tap on the shoulder to move to Celestica, Celestica, a uh, company that uh, uh, was born out of the IBM world and uh, Onyx Corp. And so Celestica, um, when I went there, uh, I led its, its global security operations. And uh, that took me to many parts of the world where we had multiple uh, factories and facilities and manufacturing plants. The whole issues around um, the software bill of materials, the whole hardware supply chain uh, and how interoperable uh, the whole world is when it comes to global trade and everything from, you know, the, the phone you hold in your hand had, you know, 150 components to it that were sourced in 10 countries. And so that fascinated me. Uh, and what I realized working at Celestica, trying to keep my finger on the pulse of global security risk management issues for a electronics manufacturing company was that I actually didn't know enough to do my job. So uh, Celestica was, was very supportive and allowed me to pursue my master's. So I ended up attending the Fletcher School for International Law and Diplomacy and ended up uh, uh, achieving my, my master's. And that was phenomenal for me because it, it, it allowed me to look into the world of global finance, you know, learn about monetary policy, fiscal policy, you know, kind of uh, Klugman economics uh, uh, and, and learn a lot about uh, the way the world actually works uh, beyond what I see on a typical day. So that was a phenomenal experience. Uh, my master's there was around uh, risk management decisions for global site selections for manufacturing, uh, looking at all different types of risk. And so with that, um, continued my journey with Celestica. Uh, brief stop at ATS Automation, who required uh, my assistance as they were um, signing a contract with a global uh, giant in, in the electronics that was uh, looking at issues around uh, secure supply chain and secure operations. From there, um, ended up at a company that I had known from my intelligence days called Bright Planet, which was a uh, big data uh, harvesting and collection organization working out of South Dakota. And that allowed me to start to understand better the, the world of uh, AI, machine learning, and how you know, the use of big data for um, developing new insights was, was you know, prime time back then, but certainly is front and center now. And so with all of that, uh, I ended up uh, re getting outreach from Opportunities New Brunswick, and they asked me if I'd be interested in coming to sit at the uh, pinwheel or at the center of uh, economic development for uh, cybersecurity and critical infrastructure and government across industry, government, and academia. And I thought this would be a great chance for me to uh, put all of my previous knowledge and expertise to work. Uh, it helped that my wife is a maritimer uh, and from, from New Brunswick, actually. And so it was a, a coming home of sorts, bringing, bringing her back to her family after 20-some years away. And so here we are almost four years in, and I'm really enjoying the experience. 
Well, Tyson, uh, cybersecurity is a hot topic, isn't it? And uh, and growing with each passing day, uh, we all hear about hacking and uh, phishing and ransomware. So we know the general term- terminology about uh, cybersecurity. Uh, let's start with finding out a little bit about the mission of CyberNB, and, and maybe you can tell our listeners, uh, what is your mandate? Great question. So I think, you know, we'll start with the mandate and then we'll, then we'll talk about what cybersecurity digital resilience means for the economy. So um, CyberNB today uh, is a, a national not-for-profit organization based in Fredericton. Um, and the mandate is to actively coordinate uh, collaboration between industry, government, and academia to obviously grow uh, the benefits, economic benefits around cybersecurity between partners, but also to mature the development of new capabilities for cybersecurity in critical infrastructure, uh, as well as um, look at ways at moving policy forward on topics such as global standards, uh, et cetera. So, so that's what we spend our days doing. We also have a massive workforce and skills team that is working really hard to help develop, develop talent um, for uh, the growth of the companies here and elsewhere. And so all of those four pillars together, whether it's trust and compliance, innovation infrastructure, workforce and skills, uh, growth and commercialization, act in concert to ensure that we're driving growth among all of our ecosystem members across industry, government, and academia. Um, what, what does it mean for, what should people know more about cybersecurity? I think uh, there's a, a bit of a mystique um, that everyone thinks about cybersecurity. I think the big thing to understand is that uh, we're talking about the bedrock of a digital economy has to be trusted and safe and secure. And so uh, the goal here is to make sure that when when the average person, you know, taps their card at the Tim Hortons in the morning to get their coffee and their donut or when they uh, purchase something online at Amazon or when they uh, pay their taxes online through a government website, etc., it's trusted that that information that's being shared is is done so securely that the ability for uh, bad actors to obtain information about civilians or activities of, of individuals or governments uh, is something that is not easily accessible and that the the understanding, I think, for most citizens is that uh, all levels of industry, government, academia, and obviously within government are taking, and industry, are taking the right precautions and the right investments to make sure that that data and that transactional information is safe and secure. So we we have a sense of urgency around that here at CyberNB. Uh, our critical infrastructure protection network uh, the whole idea around it is to ensure that we're, we see critical infrastructure as the commanding heights uh, of digital economy, uh, meaning that, you know, back in the day, the commanding heights was a reference to oil and gas and forestry and all these things. Well, in the digital world, the critical infrastructure uh, owners and operators represent the commanding heights. And so our, our understanding and our belief, and we've seen it to be true, is that you're not, you will see investments continuously in R&D and product innovation on cybersecurity for uh, energy and utilities, for telecommunications, for banking, for um, uh, uh, transportation, for uh, border safety and security, national security. So these are the commanding heights that continue to innovate and grow. And then almost like you would see in other types of advanced industries, such as think of Formula One or other types of advanced where, where those technology advancements into those cars eventually go downstream to the masses. And so that's what we see in critical infrastructure is that those organizations will continue to invest uh, because they are uh, compelled to on multiple fronts uh, and it's in the nation's best interest. But then any learnings from there get to uh, kind of trickle down, if you will, into the the consumer side and into the more commodity uh, side. So we see with absolute um, prejudice, the focus on critical infrastructure protection is key to economic growth. Yeah, so that, makes, that makes sense uh, for sure. And um, um, obviously, everybody's at risk uh, in terms of cyber security. Um, I wonder if you could, to our business owners especially, what, you know, what uh, sort of recommendations would you have them if, if they know, knew nothing about what they should do? What are the top two or three things that they should be focused on, Tyson? 
Great question. And it's a really confusing environment for most business owners. Um, you look at things like the certification frameworks uh, that are out there, um, you know, just between ourselves in the United States, we have different frameworks that don't have reciprocity. Uh, so if you're selling into the aerospace sector, um, you know, while you'd like to get the Canadian certification, it's really going to be the U.S. certification that is required because they're making it mandatory. So, so there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of concern and a lot of anxiety. I think the number one thing that any Canadian company could do, quite frankly, would be to reach out to us directly and ask for consultation. Uh, we have a director of trust and compliance, Brendan Dunphy, who is probably the foremost knowledgeable individual on business certification issues uh, here in this country. Um, was here while, while we brought in Cyber Essentials out of the UK many years ago and is, is also leading the charge today as we we, we, we support both the CyberSecure Canada uh, certification for Canadian businesses as well as the U.S. CMMC standard for, for organizations selling into the U.S. So I'd say reach out to us, number one. Our website has a, a lot of information. But number two is don't be afraid of this. This is, this is not um, overly difficult once you get your hands dirty in, in cybersecurity. So as an example, the same types of physical audits or financial audits that your organization goes through it's for the same de-risking situation that you would do an IT or a cyber audit. And so you're going to see a common lexicon that's going to be familiar to business owners around risk management. So whether that's ensuring that you have really good hygiene around uh, your infrastructure, your IT infrastructure, and ensuring that things like patches and your software is updated regularly. Um, the, the irony is for a lot of small and mid-sized businesses, this comes back to contract management. And what I mean by that is, you see organizations, even municipalities, who have uh, service level agreements with managed services providers to keep them safe. And they really don't know what they need to ask for or demand in their service level agreements. And so that's an area, you know, it's going to be a contractual discussion. You're going to be demanding when you scope out your next RFP or you update your contracts with your IT or your managed services providers. It's knowing what to ask and what to look for. That's going to keep you uh, in a much better position. And then if you have the luxury of an internal IT organization, then it's making sure that, that you know enough about what to ask and what to, and, and when you hear back an answer internally from an IT leader, like a CISO or someone like that, um, you should know what answers make sense, which ones don't. So educate uh, yourselves as business leaders in terms of what are the ways to de-risk yourself from a cybersecurity perspective. But ultimately, don't be scared of this. Uh, it's not that uh, difficult. It's not that uh, it's going to sound a lot like risk management and the other sides of your business. Right. Go ahead, David. So, um, Tyson, who funds CyberNB? How do you generate revenue? And also, what is your governance structure? Great question. So CyberNB started off in 2016 as a crown corp underneath of Opportunities New Brunswick uh, within the government of New Brunswick. Uh, when we exited um, almost two years ago, uh, it'll be two years as of March 31st of uh, 2022. Um, when we exited, we were given a two-year two runway uh, from the government of New Brunswick to get self-sustaining pretty quick. And as you can all appreciate as you know, knowing business owners and running businesses, two years to get self-sustaining uh, is pretty quick. It seems like a long time for people who are on the periphery, but for, for, for the person driving the bus, it's, uh, it's pretty rapid. So what we've done is we exited uh, with a strategy that we execute around membership. So we created uh, two key membership structures. One is called the uh, Critical Infrastructure Protection Network. And it's an annual subscription membership, uh, one price for all. Um, so we don't discriminate by the size of the organization. And the goal there is that as an apolitical independent entity whose job is here to help coordinate and accelerate collision between industry, government and academia, um, we want to make sure that the benefits outweigh any costs that members might be looking at us. So we, we have a target. We want to, we'd like to hit 80 members by the end of this fiscal. Um, we're currently in the 40s um, with a number of new members uh, coming on board each month. So we're hopeful to get there. But at the same time, we have a couple other key lines of business that we've been developing. So each of our four pillar strategies uh, ends up owning their own PL, if you will, and then that bubbles up to the, to the top of the house. 
And so the other memberships are around what we call our Critical Infrastructure Security Operating Center. And this is essentially a, uh, a place where virtually and physically organizations that are either owners or operators of critical infrastructure, uh, academic institutions, or managed services providers who support critical infrastructure operations, they pay a membership fee. And then as a result, they get to plug into um, what's called our, our you know, CI soccer, essentially a data sharing environment. And why this is relevant and important is that uh, we started this project three years ago. It's, it's graduating this year into a full-on product. But this is the first time that uh, infrastructure owners and operators across multiple sectors are coming in and sharing information, sharing threat intelligence that's happening on their own networks for the greater good of every other sector, and then signing up to mutual assistance agreements, signing up to um, uh, uh, IP sharing agreements so that we can further foster uh, security faster. So that's our second revenue stream is through membership into that uh, program. And then in our workforce and skills side, we have multiple revenue streams uh, with the goal of driving benefit back to um, you know, talent development. And so we're very fortunate. We've had a lot of success. Uh, we just recently announced a, a, a partnership with Cisco that's going to see us um, work with Cisco to deliver cybersecurity curriculum and education into all high schools in New Brunswick, virtually uh, Anglophone, Francophone for, K, for grades 9 to 12. Uh, and that's a project that, if successful or when successful, will also spin out across other parts of Canada. This is the first time that an entire educational jurisdiction is is rolling out uh, a Cisco um, you know, training and certification program. So that's a revenue stream. We also launched a, uh, a virtual three-month uh, boot camp initiative to help non-IT professionals upskill and reskill to enter the cybersecurity market. Our first cohort launched uh, Monday of this week, actually, and uh, we're oversubscribed with a healthy waiting list for our next January cohort. So that's a revenue stream there. And then we just launched a pan-Canadian um, so what we call a Cywaria League North. It's essentially an esports uh, platform uh, to help uh, youth that are interested in cybersecurity have a way to compete. Um, and that kicks off in October of this year. And we will actually have scholarships available to the youth that win at the end of the year. Uh, and that will, that will actually teach them uh, mission-critical frontline cyber skills for them to develop and grow. So the workforce and skills side is really uh, another key revenue stream. And then, of course, trust and compliance. Um, has been working hard to support the government's uh, uh, um, cyber certification initiatives. And so we, we have two portal operations where we're allowing uh, any company to come on board and, and sign up uh, and start to process its certification. Um, and then on the growth and commercialization side, I know we're going to get into that later, but we also are trying to launch an incubator accelerator program and look at ways to continue to drive revenue into companies that need to grow. So with that in mind, we have, we have a, uh, we're on a good path to be able to be self-sustaining at the end of March 31st. Uh, and we're excited because that then allows us to continue to run hard and uh, government can be a, uh, an interested partner rather than uh, you know, some type of perceived investor into what we're doing. So before we get on to talk a little bit about the size of the sector, in New Brunswick. Um, what is the Cyber Center? I drove by this big swanky new building in Fredericton uh, uh, last week. So can you tell us a little bit about what that building is? I think it's I'm not it's not your initiative. I think it's Ignite Fredericton's initiative maybe, but what, what is that building and what, what is the uh, objective there? Great question. Knowledge Park, uh, who is the ultimate landlord and owner of the Cyber Center, if you will, is a major partner of ours. And, and we've been working with them for from day one on the Cyber Center. So for those that have driven by and seen it or, or are you know starting to Google it now that we're talking about it, Cyber Center is uh, first of its kind in Canada. And what you have is a 135,000 square foot facility that is disaster resilient, so it's built to certain standards. It is also uh, resilient from a technology perspective so and, and from an energy perspective. So you have multiple distribution feeds coming into the building. You have multiple dark fiber runs coming into the building for internet connectivity. So this is a location that is 24-7, 365, and built to house highly secure uh, highly, this is back to our critical infrastructure conversation. This is this is where uh, 
critical infrastructure owners and operators can operate securely and safely 24 7 365 it's where advanced research will be conducted into things like 5g resiliency into all of the new technologies around 5g to ensure that they're done safely and securely it's where uh, energy and utilities organizations will do advanced research you know you have the siemens of the world and others in there um, so it's a uh, it's a it's an incubator in its own right, just by the nature of what it's doing. But it's also a mission critical location for critical infrastructure uh, and collaboration between industry, government, and academia. We're very proud to say that we're we're moving into that space, uh, and we're going to be occupying some real estate on the first floor. And we work very closely with all the other partners who are who are soon to announce that they'll be entering that building. And I think there's going to be a ribbon cutting in October, which is Cyber Awareness Month. So stay tuned for more. But really exciting. And again, it becomes a real um, center of gravity for the level of innovation and the level of collaboration that's happening in the province. Uh, Tyson, just to, for clarity purposes, uh, you mentioned that you have to be self-funding. Does that mean that you're now a private organization with a board of directors? Is that the way it works? Right. Apologies. Yeah, I should have uh, should have finished on that one. The We are a private organization, so we are a private, federal, not-for-profit registered company. Uh, we do have a board of directors, which is a, uh, a volunteer board that has industry, government, and academic representation. Um, we're very proud of the board. It's, it's, it's uh, evolved over the last couple of years, um, and we have really strong partners from across the country and from across those three verticals or those, those, those three groups uh, that help keep us on the straight path and uh, have been very supportive. So, yes, yeah, so we are not, we will not be a government, we are not a government entity. And more to the point, we are we'll be a self-sustaining private entity uh, as of uh, March 31st of this year of next year. Let's uh, turn a little bit to the size of this sector. Um, uh, obviously, there's a focus by the province uh, on this as a uh, opportunity to grow um, a new segment in the economy. Frank McKenna's very generous gift to the UNB recently, five million dollars to help with a digital economy is obviously a, at least a part of that i guess where where is the sector in new brunswick today can you can you give us a sort of a scope of how many people are working in it and maybe roughly the kind of revenues gdp impact it might have great question so i'm going to i'll give you the numbers that i know uh most recent but uh it's kind of a moving target the other thing i'd say is that uh, what's really important for everyone to remember here is that when you talk about cybersecurity, what, what's happened in the last few years is that the realization has been cybersecurity and digital resiliency is not a vertical in and of itself. It's a horizontal. So it's essentially a requirement that is woven into the fabric right. of, of the other sectors. And so with that in mind, uh, growth is tremendous. Um, so in terms of globally, and if you look at the job requirements, which will help be an indicator of growth, uh, from all of the metrics that are out there from the different research houses, you're looking at roughly 3.5 million unfilled jobs in cybersecurity globally uh, in 2021. Um, so within North America, that comes down to about 40,000 to 53,000 uh, cybersecurity practitioners are required by 2023. Uh, and then within New Brunswick, you're looking at about two-thirds or 67% of New Brunswick organizations that are in cybersecurity uh, that are seeking to expand and grow their workforce uh, in the next 12 months. And so when you think about the average salary in cybersecurity, the average salary, so if you kind of uh, net it all out, you're looking at $80,000 a year, which is very high, arguably one of the highest average salaries of any sector uh, or any particular uh, segment of the economy. Um, and then how does, that, how does that shake out in terms of New Brunswick? Well, we're seeing... I can tell you this, every company that we work with in SIPnet that has a New Brunswick uh, presence is actively growing. We as an organization as well in the workforce and skills side, we support uh, the digital skills uh, for youth, which is uh, a bit of a misnomer. It's a government initiative, but it's for individuals to be um, uh, properly or, or that are underemployed to be employed in the, in the areas that they wish to work in. Uh, we have uh, placed uh, 50 individuals from New Brunswick last year uh, across the province, and we are placing another 50 this year uh, across the province as well when it comes to that, that particular uh, activity. Like I said, every entity that we're working with are in the growth process to the point where we recently launched that, I told you, that, that uh, three-month boot camp initiative 
what you'll what was interesting and, and it's yet to be made public so this is the big the big ta-da here <laughs> we actually have industry partners in cybersecurity in this province that have pre-hired the candidates before they started so because they were screened into this initiative and with the demands for growth we have new brunswick companies pre-hiring candidates that have been screened in for this training so the growth the growth of these companies is unabated um, you know and so if you look at that average that average salary and the growth needs it's a continued growth opportunity for this province uh, uh, can you again uh, just for scale how many organizations or companies are kind of actively involved in this space right now in the province? so so roughly you're looking at um, you know if we look at so you have your you know, nine post-secondary institutions at least that are involved in cybersecurity, so that's your colleges, your universities, private colleges, etc. You have, you know, ourselves and a few other not-for-profits that are helping to to uh, act as a catalyst. Um, in terms of companies, you have, you know, at last count, I think we're north of 20, 25 companies that are directly in the cybersecurity space across the province. Um, of those, you know, you're looking at, you know, a two-thirds that, you know, that at least that grew here within New Brunswick, a number of companies that are relocating. So call it, uh, you know, uh, 20% of companies that have relocated here to the province and uh, some that are growing through acquisition. So you're seeing homegrown organic growth between the, the incubators, accelerators, helping those, those new ideas coming out of the universities and colleges. You're seeing companies, you know, transition here from other parts of this country, but also internationally. And then you're seeing acquisition of existing companies into larger organizations. And so, you know, I think, you know, to highlight to the person listening um, uh, here on the podcast, think of it this way. Uh, groups like IBM and, you know, you could argue, okay, IBM's an anomaly. Their global center of excellence is here because of what happened previously. So if we ignore IBM, Siemens has selected uh, Fredericton and New Brunswick for their global center of competence in cybersecurity. You have companies like uh, Field Effect out of Ottawa who are uh, relocating in a big way here to the East Coast. Um, like there are a number of, of, of indicators. I mean, we have U.S. partners. We have international partners that are actively pursuing and engaging in conversation about relocation here. Um, so it's, uh, you know, we, I, know, I remember I think when we exited Cyber and or when we exited ONB, I think the number was around 500 new jobs created uh, over the, the, the previous couple of years. And I would argue that has not slowed down. So, so if you're looking at, you know, average of 500 new jobs a year uh, on average that are going to be growing in New Brunswick through, uh, through, through uh, the cybersecurity um, sector to support those other sectors on that, on that horizontal that we talk about, uh, that's, that's pretty significant growth. It sounds like it might be time to do an economic impact study soon, Tyson. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So Tyson, so CyberNB was set up as an economic development initiative. I was marginally involved in the early days, and it was about trying to attract firms here to build a, a cluster of activity. And of course, as you indicated, that has happened. There, there have been a lot that have come and grown here. But I guess I have a kind of a two-part question for you then. One is, who is tasked with sort of bringing those firms now? Because I think based on what you described as your mandate that you've kind of moved away from that. So is that now fully an Opportunities New Brunswick uh, mandate? And then secondly, what are your thoughts on how we can grow the sector and leverage what you're doing to attract more companies, grow companies, grow education, you know, create more cluster activity here? Because Don and I are very excited about clusters, <laughs> biosciences on PEI and, and digital tech and Nova Scotia and Ocean Tech and so on. And we see cyber in that sort of vein, right, for, for New Brunswick and hopefully for Atlantic Canada. So what, so part one, who's actually sort of leading the economic development side of it? And part two, what do you think we need to do to grow even more economic activity uh, in, the, in, the, in the province? So I think the, the, the formal mandate for the province of New Brunswick to, uh, to attract uh, companies and grow the ecosystem here is indeed ONB, so they still have uh, a really strong team at ONB that's that we work with closely on a weekly basis uh, around the cyber file. 
So OMB still has that mandate. Uh, you know, Pedal's obviously also interesting, like heavily involved working with us on the talent attraction, talent development side. So GNB is still actively engaged in, in, in that leadership position for the province exclusively. Um, then you have partners like Ignite, uh, uh, 3Plus, uh, um, uh, I, I forgot the name of the new group at a St. John, but St. John's Economic Development Group. It was it was Edge and now it's something else. But uh, Envision. Envision, there you go. So, so, so they're all actively engaged uh, with us. They all work uh, to support the file. And what's, what's been exciting to see from our perspective is that uh, we, haven't slowed, we haven't slowed down the level of engagement with all of those, you know, we'll call them domestic New Brunswick entities that are, that are mandated to grow the economy. So that hasn't slowed. And I think exiting into the not-for-profit arguably has given way more reach to cyber and be in our SIP net than we could have while we were under the auspices of government, which was one of the, I think, the visions or the, the, the reasons why it was accepted that we strategically exit government. And so today, you know, while we are pan-Canadian in our reach and our scope, uh, make no mistakes, our center of gravity remains the province of New Brunswick, remains Fredericton-centric with strong links into Moncton, St. John, even northern New Brunswick, we have partners up there. So arguably, we're acting, you know, we're ultimately a major catalyst for the activities in the province and everything we do. So, for example, like we have research initiatives that we have taken on um, through the not-for-profit working with researchers from universities uh, across the country. However, where the actual rubber meets the road is that industry and academia are, are working in, you know, Fredericton to develop new technologies, new capabilities. So even if it's an international or a pan-Canadian play, quite often the actual work gets done back here in the province. And so uh, I think uh, people need to understand that, you know, cybersecurity is a massive, you know, horizontal uh, catalyst and is a requirement for that bedrock of, of, of uh, civil society and the global economy. But the center of excellence for critical infrastructure physically is New Brunswick. And I think that was echoed by the activities that you're seeing with what's called the National Cybersecurity Consortium. And so this is the uh, five universities who entered into that $80 million uh, bid for a federal grant under what's called the Cybersecurity Innovation Network. Now, those five universities, which are pan-Canadian, UNB is, is, the, is the entity that's in that group of five from New Brunswick, each of those five universities is handed a specialty or, or an expertise area within that larger $80 million uh, proposal. Well, New Brunswick or the UNB, their center of excellence, if you will, is critical infrastructure and, and network security. So it's no accident that the comparative advantages that this province has to support research development and growth and critical infrastructure, whether that's oceans, natural resources, energy, telecoms, whatever it might be, it's, it's recognized pan-Canadian because they gave UNB the, the, the ownership of that particular uh, pillar within that five-pillar strategy that they entered into that $80 million agreement on. So it, it's, this is center of gravity for all things CIP, critical infrastructure protection. And with that, as, it, as the commanding heights of cyber, it puts us in a really good leadership position, long-term sustainable growth, uh, if, we, if, if we continue to do it right. Uh, you mentioned that uh, there's over three three million jobs uh, that uh, are are available or soon to be available in this uh, sector, um, and that that this is actually one of your pillars as well. The, the labor force uh, challenges, manpower challenges. Uh, what is being done right now in terms of education and training in in this region to provide the kind of manpower like you know if new brunswick goes through 500 a year i mean we're not we don't have those people here right now do we that's right no no you don't and you know uh, i was fortunate enough to be present when uh, uh, frank mckenna uh, presented with unb for the mckenna institute announcement again another comparative advantage that we have here um, uh, here in the province. But uh, one of the interesting comments that was made, and I thought incredibly insightful because we see it every day in, in the workforce and skills side is it's, it's no longer, it's no longer the, 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 the domain of the four year degree that's going to get this done. And so we've been seeing that for a few years uh, in cyber and it's even more pronounced now than it ever was. And so what you're seeing are the ability to ramp talent quickly 
means that you need to, and this is why we're working with Cisco and EECD, um, uh, is that you need to allow youth to identify a career path opportunity early on. And that means like in elementary and secondary school, they start to get aware and start to see that there's a passion for this particular type of work. Um, so offering curriculum, offering opportunities uh, to them to explore. And so that's happening here uh, in New Brunswick, probably in greater concentration than anywhere else in this country. Uh, and that's just from an actual uh effort from uh, groups like ourselves, EECD, PEDAL, uh, other not-for-profit groups like Brilliant Labs and others to really move the needle. Uh, partners like Cisco coming in and, and supporting. So, so that increasing that level of knowledge and awareness of career path. Number two, it's, it's the, the colleges, even the private colleges and universities. Uh, things like, you know, the, the three-month boot camp or the six-month certification program or the one-year certificate or it's the what they call a two plus one. You're seeing undergrad degrees plus a technical degree at a college coming together uh, to ensure that the youth are coming out, graduates are coming out with the soft skills needed and the hard skills technically to be successful. Um, and the cybersecurity firms are also now willing to take candidates uh, and graduates earlier uh, and train them in-house. Um, but they're, you know, on top of all that, we still see the need for and the, the, the four-year undergrads, the masters and the PhD degrees so, so there's, there's more and more collaboration between those post-secondary institutions, uh, as well as, you know, that, that uh, high school type uh, engagement to ensure that we have, we can put as many youth in New Brunswick and individuals in New Brunswick back into that sector before we have to start sourcing uh, from, from outside the province and beyond. But you're right, we're, we're still bringing in through the immigration stream. Uh, we're working to ensure that things like Startup Visa is helping bring in founders who are creating new companies. Uh, the the uh, Atlantic Immigration Pilot helping bring in talent faster, quicker. Uh, the lady who leads our, uh, our Director of Workforce Strategy, uh, she worked with OMB previously and helped uh, companies in the cyber world bring in candidates from international locations through the uh, 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 through that Atlantic immigration program so that they could have talent faster, quicker that were uh, in, in desperate need. So fill the funnel as much as you can from New Brunswick, but then, and then ensure you have the resources uh, available to us to, to fast track talent into the, into the region. Yeah, I really, really love that approach. I think it's, uh, I think we need to think about that more broadly across the economy that, you know, we're, we need to fill the talent pipe here, but also bring lots of people from outside uh, to help uh, fill uh, important jobs. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about cybersecurity jobs and careers because it's my impression, and I had I was of the same view, that cybersecurity jobs are primarily IT jobs or computer programming jobs. But as I got a little bit more exposed to what's going on in New Brunswick, I, I see that there's a lot more than just coding that goes into cybersecurity jobs. Can you tell us a little bit about the types of jobs and careers there are in cybersecurity in case our listeners and, uh, are, are interested in, uh, in making a jump? Absolutely. And you know what, the, the more and more it's being recognized of the breadth of, of expertise required in this side, and also the fact that we, we're not there yet. So, you know, if you look today at some of the managed services providers and, and what, what they need are problem solvers, critical thinkers, and those individuals can be trained to work in their security operating center. And they're watching for anomalies on the network. They're watching for indicators that might suggest something strange is happening in a network or that it's being attacked. And so those types of jobs are, are in demand and they're available today. Um, but there's also jobs in... Um, policy development. There's jobs in law. Think of the entire um, law environment. So, so the lawyers of, the, of tomorrow need to understand digital rights, privacy rights, um, uh, interoperabilities of technology, and what does, what does it mean for certain certifications to be you know, interoperable with others in terms of technology and hardware and software. These are, these are issues that are lost on, we'll call old school lawyers, who never had to worry about this before, or things like how do you draft a contract? So contract law, uh, insurance, and the whole insurance sector, trying to figure out how to underwrite. And so what are the metrics? What are the ways that actuarials, uh, actuaries can actually figure out how to measure risk? And so this whole digital resilience, the whole digital you know, cybersecurity or digital resiliency of the economy is spinning up an entire need in multiple sectors that we might've seen before as not related. And all of a sudden, you have to have an understanding 
of cybersecurity in order to actually do the job in these what we're seen as peripheral job sectors that are now paramount to an organization being able to effectively manage its risk. Um, so, so that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot more um, digital resiliency. Cybersecurity will end up being curriculum baked into almost every degree program, regardless of whether it's law or, or, or business or leadership or any of these areas that traditionally were, you know, we never wanted to touch anything to do with IT back when you're in uh, in the undergrad for something like business or commerce. Now, all of a sudden, if you don't know it, uh, you actually can't do the job effectively. So you're going to see a complete horizontal growth in cybersecurity curriculum, training and certifications. And so it's expect that any any individual who's has aspirations of, you know, entrepreneurship, business leadership, commerce, areas like law, you will be introduced to and have to understand the foundational fundamentals of digital resilience and cybersecurity. And is the goal to have that sort of pervasive view across the education system in New Brunswick? Absolutely. So right now, with what we have going on within New Brunswick, so we we helped work on a, a, a what's called a K-8 or a kindergarten to grade eight uh, immunization program for youth to get them aware of like, uh, you know, digital citizenship and security and safety online. And then in, as soon as you hit junior, uh, kind of junior high and high school, there are courses offered in schools in this province on, you know, how to code or or how to identify, you know, threats. And so those are the courses that are being offered now more and more. The Cisco relationship has been phenomenal and it just launched. So expect to see that in every school and every parent who's helping their child, uh, son or daughter in high school pick their their electives are going to see this Cisco course offered here as we go forward. And so highly suggested that, you know, youth look at that seriously and at least consider having a few certificates because each one of these curriculum courses allows a micro-credential to be offered to, to each student. So that will become the, the, the gold standard for curriculum and, and for, for youth uh, education and even in public systems. So again, leading the way here in New Brunswick with that. And then imagine now you've been introduced to some of the challenges or issues around globalization as it pertains to digital resiliency or digital safety, and you have a real passion for law. And all of a sudden you're entering your your first year in law and you have a foundational understanding of why things like digital rights or privacy or, or digital access or where data is stored, you understand why all that matters all of a sudden, whereas you would never have had those concepts in your mind entering into a law degree before. So, so I think you're going to see that become a pervasive, almost baseline level of training as we go forward. Well, you know, I, I, I really uh, congratulate you for the work on the education uh, system. I, obviously, I, I'm sure you want to roll that out across the country because um, that's a great place to uh, uh, get the next crop of uh, people uh, for the for the sector. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to ask you just a quick uh, question about your Cyber Hatch initiative. I understand that that's to try to attract cybersecurity entrepreneurs. Uh, can you talk about how that's going? You know, it's probably the most delayed of our four pillars. And uh, I think we can thank our good friends at COVID for, for all <laughs> the slowdowns there. So, so Cyber Hatch was created uh, with, you know, the, the idea that we would collaborate with Ignite Fredericton, who is a startup visa sponsor for the incubator side of the shop. And then we partnered with Kuretsu, uh, Kuretsu Forum, because uh, they're, a, they're a startup visa sponsor for the accelerator side uh, of the shop. So for those who don't know, Startup Visa is a program federally that allows business founders to move to Canada with up to, I think it's five other founders and their family members to set up shop in Canada to grow their business here in Canada for access to the North American market. So with two partners that cover startup visas, uh, MyTax uh, stepped up big, uh, NBIF stepped up big, uh, you know, IRAP uh, is, is there to support companies that are in our ecosystem. And so we were able to put together, you know, a number of partners who could bring that, we'll call it seed level help to companies that landed here through the startup visa program on, on, on all things cyber and digital resiliency. So, so COVID slowed down that process. So we're, we're slow to start on that, but we have about five or six companies right now that we're looking at from a domestic perspective that would come into Cyber Hatch for the fall or winter, depending on when we can execute. And working with partners at Planet Hatch, working with partners at you know TME and Energy and others who could come in and mentor these companies as we figure out which ones are coming in, access those dollars from those partners I mentioned, 
Um, and we're actually, I don't want to say too much because it's not done yet, but we're actually having conversations with, we, we've been trying to, you know, one of my, I guess, pet projects on this whole growth and commercialization side is to look for that. You know, I'm a huge advocate for Canadian sovereign technology, and, and I, I'd love to see us have a Canadian fund that would be there for after the seed rounds to help Canadian companies stay Canadian. And so I've been on the search continuously for partners who could bring in that type of funding uh, to help, you know, a company who graduates out of Cyber Hatch and does well and is heading to the revenue stage and needs to really get to that next big ramp, that we can actually do it ourselves, if you will, and do it as a Canadian investment. So we're actively pursuing that. But at the same time, I have to, I have to say we have Israeli uh, investment groups knocking on our door. We have U.S. investment groups knocking on our door. And at the end of the day, cash is king. And so if we can't find the Canadian partners, we will work with the Israeli and the U.S. partners because these companies here that are growing and they're ready to get to that next stage, they need the capital. And so we are in discussions right now with a few groups uh, that we're looking at to see if we can't put together a fund that would be there to support the companies domestic or international who come and land here and set up shop uh, so that we can breathe more life into them and they can continue to grow fast. I mean, one of the companies that we've plugged in with right from the time we started here was Cognitive Spark. And, and for those who don't know Cognitive Spark, you know, an amazing research and technology that came out of UNV that is now, I mean, I think they're going for another raise. Like, they're just amazing. And, and that will be another massive success story in this province to come out of this province. It's a global opportunity. It's, an, it's a company that's already international in their scope and reach. And there's a number of these types of companies that are incubating through our collective collaboration here that we need to find a way to add value to. So that growth and commercialization pillar is probably the least mature of our four pillars, but it is critically important. And we spend a number of hours and I'm, uh, I kind of lead on that from our side to try and find the right ecosystem partners to ramp this up with. Cause I think that's going to be the next big challenge is how do we put more wind into the sails of these, of these accelerated companies and keep them here and keep them growing. And so that's, I think challenge, challenge for the years ahead, but we're working on it now as hard as we can. Tyson, it's a, Sounds like a very broad-based effort. You've got things going on in the education system, physical infrastructure, policy development, research, uh, uh, entrepreneurship, and the, the incubator. So it's, you've got lots of irons in the fire. It's very impressive. Uh, if people want to find out more about CyberNB or cybersecurity in general, do you have a website to send them to? We do. So cybernb.ca, uh, head over there. If, if it's an email, it's info at cybernb.ca. Um, we have a stakeholder engagement lead and that's, you know, our, our job. We are here to support the ecosystem. So if you're out there, you're listening, you have questions about how you can, you know, take advantage of the ecosystem to grow your business or take advantage of the ecosystem to become more resilient. Don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks so much for yep. joining us today on the Insights Podcast. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the latest episode of Insights on the Huddle Podcast Network. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. There, you'll find past episodes, including the first interview in this series with Rory Francis of the Prince Edward Island Bio Alliance. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.